Hello, I'm Pete Raby, CEO of the X4 Group, and you are listening to the Leadership Learns podcast. I'm a big believer, like many of you, that good leadership takes a hunger to learn and reflect. And when we open up about our own experiences, we give others permission to do the same. With me today is Dr. John Blakey. John is a former FTSE 100 International Managing Director and is currently the founder of the Trusted Executive Foundation, an executive coach to CEOs and leadership teams. Today, we're going to discuss how CEOs can build a trust community. Thank you for joining me today, John. First things first, there's a bit of context for the listeners, um, a brief introduction into your background and experiencing uh, coaching, coaching CEOs. Yeah. Good afternoon, Peter, and good afternoon, everybody who's uh, who's listening. Delighted to be here and really looking forward to the conversation that we're, we're going to have about leaders building yeah, high-trust cultures. So you mentioned coaching. How, how did I get into coaching? I've had the privilege of, of coaching over 130 CEOs in 22 different countries over the last 20 years. I got into coaching by being coached myself. At the time, coaching was quite a new and, and, and a novel thing in, in business, and I was sat there thinking, you know, what's all this about? And, and, and sort of expecting it to be a little bit of a, a, a fad, to be honest. But it had a huge impact on me. Um, I was really taken by the impact of the person that I worked with, the way they got me to think differently, to to unpack a lot of my more deep-seated beliefs and values. And the impact it had on me, I just thought, wow, wouldn't it be great if one day I could help other people? Nice. It's a, a, a great introduction. and. Um... It's something that I wish I'd have opened my eyes to far, far earlier because I'm, you know, like you, have been quite staggered by the considerable impact and and uh, and perspective that it's able to give you by someone who isn't working with you day in day out and just asks some very good questions and maybe just lights things and opens your eyes to considerations that you'd never even previously thought about. <laughs> Probably important to mention to listeners at this point that, that, that John works with me as my as, as my coach, but I've been I've been absolutely delighted with them with the depth and 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 really the value added that it's given me as a relatively new CEO and being able to take shape of, of the job, but also to be able to take things in the direction that you want them. So um, yes, I think that's a, a very nice introduction indeed. Let's let's talk about coaching, John, because ultimately, wow, I mean, talk about a role that can be done in a whole variety of guises. I'd be really interested to know, John, of how you decided the coach that you wanted to be and and, and what were some of the values that you decided that actually this is going to be the benchmark of how I do things. On my journey to to being a coach, bearing in mind back then it was quite a new uh, idea in business, you know, to have a coach. And so there wasn't a great deal of training around. And initially I actually trained as a counsellor and I qualified as a counsellor, but and I learned a lot from that. But one of the things I also learned was that I didn't want to be a counsellor. You know, uh, there are certain skills that of that that I think are fantastically important, but I knew I wanted to work with ambitious, high-achieving board leaders and uh, so what influenced me um, early on with coaching uh, just maybe mention uh, this book coaching for performance um, a book by uh, Sir John Whitmore is a book that really got me hooked on a style of coaching because of the title really coaching for performance and so performance results winning you know whatever the game is um, you know we are looking to to win and uh, performance is is key so I think that's an important word for me in my coaching. And then my own sort of style of coaching, uh, I realized quite early on that, you know, I, I can be quite a challenging 
individual uh, and you know that 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 can be a good thing and a bad thing can't it you know if you if you describe somebody as quite a challenging individual it can be it can be you know a good thing and a bad thing i wanted to make a a virtue out of that you know that i wanted to be known as someone who challenges bravely but also compassionately in my coaching and um the book that uh, myself and ian day wrote in 2012 challenging coaching the clue again is in the is in the title challenging coaching I wanted to be known as, as a challenging coach. And we had a methodology in that book called FACTS, F-A-C-T-S. And the, the letters FACTS stood for feedback, accountability, courageous goals, tension, and systems thinking. And those were the five components that we felt were critical to having a challenging presence in the coaching and making sure that the leaders that we work with are, are coming to the edge of their development and reaching for those goals that uh, are transformative rather than business as usual. So challenge was an important word to me. And then, as, as you mentioned earlier, trust is a very important word to me in, in my coaching, in my life uh, as a whole. The Trusted Executive book, which came out in 2016, was all about trust. So I think three words to sum up, performance, challenge, trust. Those are the bedrocks of, of, of what I hope my coaching stands for and uh, gives gives a certain style, as you say, amongst all the many great coaches that are out there. I'd love to hear a bit more, um, the, you know, the facts methodology, how these kind of things come about is always is always interesting to me. And as, of course, it would have been shaped largely by professional career and bits and pieces. But I've, I've, I'm sure I can't be the only one that always sometimes thinks slightly cynically, uh, being very, very candid in relation to people that want to be or are coaches or guides to others because my natural first question maybe i'm the only one that thinks this way but is um well what have you done then to to make me trust that you will be able to add value in the way that you're going to help me get to where i want to get to or is this just the blind leading the blind so to speak um yeah i I feel like i've been around the block a bit on on the business side you know big companies small companies startups different sectors and, and yes, that credibility is important, particularly when you first meet a CEO. I think see, the CEO job is a lonely job. And when you first meet a CEO, I think they want to look you in the eye and know that you felt it, <laughs> that you felt a bit of that loneliness in what you've done, because that's how you have that credibility, but also that empathy for the challenges of that role. I think the more you work with someone, the less important that experience is. Because it's me and you. It's me and you, isn't it? The more we work together, it's Peter Raby working with John Blake, and we we forget about all that other stuff. But on day one, when when we first met, you know, I respect what you're doing with X4 Group and the responsibility you take as as a CEO of a of a very uh, successful and rapidly growing company. And you want to also, I think, look me in the eye and say, "Well, yeah, as you say, has John walked the walk? Um, I don't expect him to have done everything, but I expect him to have done something." (laughs) <laughs> mm. Absolutely, and and yes, John, and I agree. And I think is um, you know, we 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 all know that the one thing that we don't have any control of, of course, is time, and and where you spend your time is an incredibly important decision. And I remember being six months into this job, realizing that I was uh, <laughs> a long, long way from where I wanted to be um, as a, as a new CEO, and thinking there's only one way I'm going to be able to do this, and this is not doing it myself, and I'm going to need to find someone. Um, and and I, I really remember thinking, where on earth do I begin? And spoke to a couple of friends who well, they hadn't done it. And yeah, he sounded all right. And introductions to them and that didn't really click. And you think, oh, how on earth are you going to find the right fit? Because there are 
a little bit like everything in life, there's going to be certain styles that and certain values that really appeal to one person over the other. Mm. And the bit that I'm so fascinated to ask you about is that when you're going to start a, a group and start something called the Trusted Executive Foundation, knowing what I do about you now, and I'm sure anyone that's going to be doing such a thing, the name of the organization is a pretty pivotal, like you said, with books. You, you, you know, yeah. the book I was showing you before, you pick up a, a, a book or whatever or uh, resonate with a group because of the title. Now, that's only the introduction. And if, you know, the person running it is an absolute uh, <laughs> fraud, that will be quickly found out. But the reality is you call it the trusted executive. Mm. And the bit I'd love to hear a little bit about is why out of all the different areas of coaching, and it's a bit of a myriad and a sea of yeah. them, right? Yeah. Why, was it, why was the trusted executive what you wanted to call the foundation? Yeah, so this goes back to probably 2008, 2009, the global financial crisis. Many of us came out of the other side of that crisis. Many of us who were, who were, who were passionate about leadership came out of the other side of that crisis thinking something's gone wrong here. Something's gone badly wrong. And, and people have paid a price around the globe that really they shouldn't have had to pay. And, and I was intrigued to, to understand, you know, what had gone wrong. And I, and I put myself back in the classroom. I, I went back into Aston Business School where I'd done my MBA uh, to actually do a DBA, a doctorate in, in business administration, because I wanted to research this issue. You know, what was it that we'd missed? What had gone wrong? And therefore, what did we need to do in order to make sure this didn't happen again? And the more I researched uh, into leadership at that time, the more this trust word came front and center that what had gone wrong was there'd been a breach of trust. Trust had, uh, had given way in that crisis and that what we needed to do was to rebuild trust in business, rebuild trust in uh, politics, rebuild trust in our institutional lives. And so that's why this word trust came out. And then also what came up in the research, Peter, was that the role of the individual CEO in that process, that what I found through that research was that the single biggest factor in building a high-trust culture is the behavior of the CEO and the senior leadership team. So your behavior matters. If you're a CEO or a board leader, your behavior matters. That role modeling, that leading by example, is the biggest factor that will ripple out a culture of trust into an organization. So this phrase, the trusted executive, it's a personal phrase. It's about an individual leader. Are you or do you aspire to be a trusted executive? And if you do, the research that I've done and the work that myself and the team do now, we have the models and the tools and the techniques that can help you walk that path. Um, because trust is a big word. It's, it's very vague. It's quite emotive. If you can break it down into manageable chunks, it's going to make that job much easier. So that's where that phrase, the trusted executive, came from. It was the title of, of the book that came out in 2016, and it became the title of the organization that was founded in that same year. And hopefully, like you said, hopefully when people first see that phrase, it's pretty clear what we're about. We're about leadership. We're about trust. We're about the role of the individual leader, leader and the potential of that leader to make an impact culturally through their own behaviors. You've coached, for, as you mentioned, John, for, for a number of years now. Uh, the thing that I've enjoyed with the Trust Executive Foundation is that it has a real mixture of different people from different roles, from public sector to private to charity to business and everything else in between. And, and I think that breadth of, um, that breadth of industry is, a, is a, an incredibly valuable commodity to the executive. But 
let's talk about that that building of trust. You'd have seen and worked with a lot of uh, a lot of CEOs and a lot of leaders over the years. Are there the are there the most common traits that the leaders that form the most trusted organizations? I guess firstly, how do you think that's best measured? And mm. secondly, are there the most common traits that those leaders demonstrate more than others? Great. And then those those two questions Peter, were really the start of my research. You know, I wanted to get to the bottom of those questions because I worked with a lot of CEOs who said to me, John, I get trust. I get that it's important. How can I build it? And I didn't really have a scientific answer for that. I had my own experience of other people's experience, but I really wanted to get to the rigorous academic answer to that question so that it's got legs, it's got substance. And so the research went down that path. And what I discovered as I did the research was that there were already a lot of great researchers on trust that had already been a certain way down the path. And one of the formulas that came out of their research was that trustworthiness, um, the trustworthiness of a leader or of a brand or of a team is made up of three components, ability, integrity, and benevolence. Now, as a practicing leader of 30 years by this point, I always knew that my trust depended upon my ability. Am I competent at, at what I choose to, to do? I, I also knew that it was related to my integrity. You know, do, do I have those values and ethics and do I walk the talk? But this third word, Peter, benevolence, that was a real shock to me. I mean, I have never been on the introduction to benevolence course for senior leaders. You know, <laughs> it, 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 it shocked me so much as a word that I had to go and look up to make sure I knew what it meant. It it turns out benevolence is the opposite of malevolence. It comes from the Latin benevolent, which means wishing well, wishing well for others. It's common human care, compassion, kindness. And then the penny dropped for me, and I realized that this benevolence thing was just as important as the integrity and the ability. And that was quite a wake-up call for me. And and I think in in, in the work and sharing this work since that point, it's been a wake-up call for a lot of other leaders as well, that particularly in a modern age, uh, to be trusted, um, people, yes, they want to know that you're competent, that you can deliver results. Yes, they want to know that you're honest, that you have your values and your ethics. And they want to know that you have a, a heart for something bigger than just making money. Uh, they, they want to know that there's a vision there, um, that you that you've got a bravery to stand for that vision, and that that vision is trying to influence something uh, positive in the wider world of which that we're all caught up in. And I think businesses now are increasingly being expected to play on that bigger stage, and and CEOs therefore are also expected to play on that bigger stage. That's how you will win uh, this new game of of trust is by embracing all three of those words: ability, integrity benevolence one of the things that um I, i've certainly done <laughs> as a negative before is I'm a, i i i wish i'd have had the hunger for learning now <laughs> when i was at school because <laughs> for me it was when's my next cricket match was the most important thing that was on my <laughs> on my question back in the back in the day but i think it's you know th- those three words that you mentioned there these are big fat words that could be interpreted in many different ways and a little bit like one of the things of you know, being a quite a high energy, high adrenaline type of person, the the, ne- the last book I read was brilliant. Why don't I install some things from that, et cetera, et cetera. And I'd be really fascinated to hear, John, how you think CEOs and leaders can go about making sure that 
they you know they they don't <laughs> they don't try and try and do too many things from too many gospels so to speak yeah. they kind of you know it, b- b- because there are there's so so much great literature out there there's so many great courses out there but yet it can be very very easy to just kind of be in doing them all but actually not sticking to anything core have you have you seen or work with many people that have that have managed to have the right setup to keep to you know a, a few core principles and do them well rather than just getting led from one thing to the other yeah, I mean, we, we talked about this earlier, earlier in the week, didn't we, Peter, that, you know, um, there are many great methodologies out there. I would love the nine habits of trust to be the best methodology that anybody has ever come across. Yeah, of course, I would love that to be the case. But I know there are there are many other great methodologies out there. And the difference for me around the most successful CEOs and leaders is not the volume of methodologies that they're aware of or, or that, that they know about or that they've um, practiced with it's the discipline uh, and consistency with which they've applied that methodology there are 20 let's say there are 20 methodologies out there that you could choose to run your leadership your business and, and some of them are better than others but honestly if you just took any one of them and applied it in a disciplined consistent way over a period of time then that's the secret to success and you know this thing about compound interest you know, it's like compound interest. If you have a methodology and you work that methodology, because it takes investment of time and energy to get these things established. And if you then work that and work that and work that, it compounds up such that the benefits of that discipline and commitment and that consistency start to um, accumulate over a period of time. And it's very easy to be tempted by the new shiny thing that comes along. And, and yes, you know, we, we need a bit of that novelty and that excitement, but we have to be very careful, particularly particularly the more people that we lead, that we don't rock the boat unnecessarily by introducing novelty at the expense of discipline and commitment. John, I think that's, uh, yeah, absolutely marvellous advice. I'm sure there'll be lots of people, whatever they're doing, listening to this, nodding their heads in, in appreciation of that, because that's the kind of perspective that um you know is isn't always in 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 the in the in the in the in the chaos of everyday life easy just to be able to appreciate those kind of points so thank you very much for sharing that uh, as i mentioned my own personal journey in relation to working and trying to find the right coach and the right coaching group is there was something that immediately struck me when i came across the trusted executive because i thought there was something in me that struck very deep where if you do have trust as a leader that is the best and probably the main only foundation that you're going to need to be able to then um to be able to grow something to be able to have a have a great business or lead a great organization in the right way and i think obviously that the 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 other bit that was going to be vital to the process was feeling that there was authenticity it's the word that's come up time and time again in this podcast over the last 18 months people can smell a fake a a, a while away and the reality was if the the trust executive was called that and you spoke to people that you're like well i don't know if these guys actually make me feel very trusted actually i don't think that would ever work but i'm fascinated that once you know you've, you've established that the trust is a maybe you know in a different way or maybe a bit different to what i'm describing there but trust being that kind of foundation being a bedrock of what great leadership looks like you mentioned your methodology before the nine habits that you came up with john it'd be really good to be able to just um again we, uh, i'm conscious that although you and i could easily speak for four or five hours on this subject i'm conscious that we've got to boil it down but yeah if you could run through what those nine habits yeah. are to be able to be a great trusted executive and, and maybe a little bit as well in relation to how you came up with them because it must have been some that you had to admit when i was doing the research ability integrity and benevolence were already there 
So I was standing on the shoulders of giants. That research had been done, but what hadn't been done was to get at the behavioral habits underneath each of those pillars. And my research, which involved interviewing over 30 CEOs and then surveying over 550 board level leaders, was to get at those behavioral habits. And you're right that I had to boil it down. Um, you know, there's a process you go through uh, in the research cycle that means that you know, a very rigorous process to make sure that when you boil it down, you boil it down in a way that can be verified and audited and, and still has that, that rigor about it. So having boiled it down, there were nine habits that I felt had to stay there based on the results of the research. Three under the habit of, uh, three under the pillar of ability, three under the pillar of integrity, and three under this pillar of benevolence. And just very quickly, um, I'll tell you what the nine habits are. And then if there's any one or more of those that catches your ear and you want to know a bit more about it, but under the habit of, of ability, trusted executives, what do they do? They deliver. So habit number one is deliver. What else do they do? They coach. Habit number two is coach. Uh, to build trust, you coach rather than tell. Um, third habit, we've mentioned it already, be consistent. Um, nothing destroys trust as quickly as unpredictability of behavior. So if, if I'm going to trust you, I need to know where you stand on a good day and on a bad day and in the stress of, of leadership life. So those are the three habits of ability. Three habits of integrity. Be honest, be open, be humble. So I think many of us would, would name honesty. We would, that's not a big surprise to us. Be open is about, as a leader, sharing more of yourself, uh, showing some of that vulnerability that is that human touch which connects you with the people that you lead. And being humble is the opposite of being arrogant. And arrogance uh, in the world of, of trust is, is a dangerous um, uh, quality. Being humble, meeting people on a level is something that will retain trust as you develop in your, in your career and seniority. And then three habits of benevolence, evangelize, be brave, be kind evangelize it's an interesting word many many listeners will know that as a religious word uh, what does it mean evangelize means spread the good news so uh, leaders that are trusted they have a vision they can inspire people uh, they bounce back quickly from disappointments so they have that resilience and they love what they do and that evangelism really fires people up and inspires that trust being brave being brave in the in the game of trust is about moral bravery it's about the idea that at some point the leader will self-sacrifice on behalf of the bigger goal, on behalf of the mission. And when that happens, boy, does that inspire trust. And then finally, be kind. Uh, so what, is, what has kindness got to do with leadership? You know, again, this was a bit of a shock to me when I, when I first came across it. But the research says kindness is one of the, the nine habits. And, you know, I often talk about kindness being like a purple dye. Um, all it takes is one drop and it changes the whole complexion of a situation. And for me personally, that's the habit that in my own leadership I've been working on the most because I recognized in my own research that when I look at these habits, and I look at my own leadership, I know I'm not perfect of all these habits. And uh, and, and the kindness habit is, is definitely one that I've recognized the the value of and, 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 and try to practice because I'm not a natural some of these ha habits you'll be a natural at, others you have to work at. And, and I must say, particularly working at that be kind habit in my own leadership. Where does awareness come into leadership, John? Yeah, awareness, it, it, it's massive. And just to give you a, a statistic from the research that, that demonstrates the importance of awareness, 
uh, in the research, what came out was that CEOs, on average, rate their trustworthiness 20, 29% higher than those who work for them. So there's a gap. Um, there's a gap in awareness, um, a difference of perception uh, between the self-view of the CEO and everybody else's view. It's very easy, particularly as a CEO, to get caught in a bit of a, a bubble uh, where, where the people around you um, are, are telling you what you want to hear and, and you start to lose awareness because people are not being as honest with you as they might have been before you were the CEO. How do you how do you get that back? How do you make sure you're still staying aware? It, it's back to a word you used earlier about feedback and measurement. So one of the things that you can do once you've got a model like this with nine habits, uh, you can use it to measure trust and trustworthiness. So one of the things we do with this model, uh, we will invite the board and the CEO to assess themselves against these habits. We can we can invite people to score themselves against the habit, and then we have a survey tool that we can take out into the wider staff population and say, well, what do you think? And, and then we can compare the self-view with everybody else's view. And, and, and there, what we find is that there are some areas, some habits that the leadership is doing better than they think they are, which again is a lack of awareness. And there are some habits where they're not quite as good as they thought they were. And so measurement and feedback is a way to calibrate and make sure that you're not slowly uh, drifting into sort of denial around some of these challenges. Sometimes it's difficult to hear feedback or, or, or you don't always get the measurement that you want, but leaders that have the ambition will go through the pain of that because they want to grow uh, and no one's going to grow without without feedback and, and measurement. It's like I say to my young daughters, John, most days when they're whinging about homework being too hard, I'm like, girls, the great thing is the harder something is, the more you're going to learn off the back of it. So uh, I, I, I agree with Thanks, that sentiment. Sir. Absolutely entirely. You know, less to do with basic arithmetic than uh, we're talking about there. And, and the final thing I'd like to do before we go to a, a quick fire question, John, is just uh, out of those nine habits, and thank you for running through them, um, is that coaching element? Why not? <laughs> I think out of the nine, I think coaching would be a great one to, 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 to finish up with. For those people that want to be outstanding coaches that maybe, mm. you know, like myself, like others, you're, you're in a business, you maybe don't want to be a, a full-time coach, like the route that you went down after a, a long time in industry, mm. um, but they want to be the very best coach they can be. What steps should they be taking? Well, what I can share with you there is that in that survey that we use to measure these habits, I know what the three behaviors are under coaching that we ask people about. So I can share with you what those are. And the, the, the one behavior is, uh, do you listen to people more than you talk to them? Um, so we ask people that question and then we ask everybody else that question, you know, does your leader listen to you more than you, they talk to you? Um, and then we ask them the question, do you ask questions of everyone you meet? Simple sort of question really, isn't it? But do, do you ask questions of everyone you meet? Yes or no, or always, or sometimes. And, and we, and we ask that question of, of individuals. And the third one is, uh, do you believe in people's potential more than they believe in themselves? So in other words, do you as a leader think that there is a greatness inside uh, your people that they are not even aware of, but you know it's there? And, and, and great coaches, when you're in the presence of great coaches, there's like a magnetic pull of potential that's going on because they actually believe in you more than you believe in yourself. And, and if you're with people like that, it's it's fantastic because you know that that, that, that magnetism is pulling you up uh, and there's plenty of things pull it, pulling you down. So, you know, that's what the three behaviors of coaching are that we measure in our in our survey. 
Really good points there, John, and certainly has already got me thinking. Um, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident on, on one of them. I'm pretty happy with the second um, point three. Do I believe in people's potential? I'm, I'm pretty certain that I, you know, our, our business ethos is empowering people to succeed. So yes. hopefully my people would say Pete Tine is absolutely believing in us and selling us we can do something great because he believes it himself. But and, and question two of, uh, you know, asking question when you meet, I, I think I'm pretty, pretty hungry for information. But that first point, hmm, maybe that's the one that, that, that will require a bit of work because I certainly like to listen. I've got better at it, but without a doubt, that's a work in progress. So I'll be, I'll be doing some work, uh, um, perhaps with you, John, to, 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 to keep better, you know, to keep uh, developing that skill. That's for sure. But um, well, yeah, thank be, you for running there, through that. There's the be humble habit, Peter. There's the be humble habit. You know, is uh, recognizing. You know, always, always areas for improvement. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I like the point you made earlier. Actually, it's one of the things that. Um, we talked about a lot with all the leadership, all the leaders who we've spoken to across the technology and life sciences sectors. I think the ability to say that, cool, I got that wrong, and hold your hands up and say, no, no yeah. that really went badly. We're going to do that better next time, and blah blah. blah. I think showing that you're not perfect um, and, and that you're just doing a job like everyone else. It's one of the big reasons that I wanted to uh, speak with everyone who starts in our business within the first 48 hours and say empowering people to succeed means we're empowering you to fail because I fail every single day and we're yeah. all just doing different jobs and we're all in this in this together and let's just try and be as good as we can do and you know and, and, and as long as we go at it that way we're, we're going to be able to create something pretty special and hopefully that for, for some at least that might have a big impact for them to hear those words but we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll find out in a few years no doubt <laughs> a, a couple of the quick fire questions that I absolutely love to ask everyone John because yeah. hopefully there'll be one or two areas that people you know learn from what have you found to be the most effective personal methodologies that you used to go and develop as a leader? Now, of course, <laughs> we've, we've had quite an extensive conversation in relation to coaching there, but the reality is there is a fair sea of different methodologies that might be right for different people at different times. But aside from the big coaching piece, uh, would there be any other personal methodologies for your development that you know have been um, very successful? Yeah, a methodology that we, we've um, been talking about recently, Peter, um, uh, NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, that's a, you know, a psychological methodology used a lot in coaching. And, uh, you know, I was looking at, at on my bookshelf before this, this podcast and, you know, this book, Richard Bandler's book, uh, Make Your Life Great. Uh, Richard Bland- Bandler uh, was the co-creator of NLP. And, and uh, I think NLP is an incredibly powerful suite of, of tools and techniques. And any book by Richard Bandler, I think, is, is stimulating and eye-opening for a, a leader to read and a very powerful set of tools. Um, I don't often refer to it in my coaching directly. I don't often name it, but I know that it's there and that I'm using it in the background um, because it's, it's, it's just a very powerful way of, of understanding how people's um, thought process, processes typically work and therefore how to, um, to help people um, unpick some difficult thought processes and, and put them back together in a way that, that that's more effective. Very nice. Yeah, absolutely. And I was going to ask you, of course, for a book, John, but is that what you've just named there? Is it, will, will that be your book of choice? Um, no, I had another one. I, I had another one uh, that I wanted to mention to uh, our listeners. Um, Ray Dalio's book, Principles. Um, it's quite a thick and heavy tome, but I, I would recommend people to, to, uh, to persist with it because it, it's a gold mine, uh, and again, uh, Ray Dalio, from a credibility point of view, built Bridgewater Associates from nothing to be the biggest hedge fund management company in the world. So you sort of know this is someone who knows what he's talking about. And the formula that he has in that book, which I particularly like, Peter, is this one: reality plus dreams plus determination 
equals a successful life. Reality plus dreams plus determination equals a successful life. And when I look at that formula, I realize that I've always been quite a good dreamer. I'm pretty determined as well. But he has this concept of hyper-realism, which he says most of us don't face reality. We don't confront the brutal truth. And if we don't confront the brutal truth, we won't get to the root cause of problems. And, and what I took from his book was that I, you know, personally, again, for me, it's like I, I'm, I'm, I'm great at the dreaming. I, I'm great at being determined. But I need to sometimes, I need someone to tap me on the shoulder and say, John, this is a problem. And you are you are choosing not to uh, focus on it as much as you could do. That's the hyper-realism that Ray Dalio uh, recommends in his book, Principles. I'm embarrassed to say that that book has been on my shelf for far too many months now. <laughs> and due to the scary looking nature of this biblical looking uh, <laughs> looking verse, I think it, it, that's the reason it's been there compared to some other ones, which look slightly less daunting. But off the back of that hyper-realism, uh, John, I will be getting stuck into that whenever I get a holiday over the summer, that's for sure. So, um, John, I think that's a beautiful place in which to wrap up. Um, thank you so much for for coming on and sharing your journey and your leadership learns with us today. Um, I know that there'll be lots that will resonate with listeners and likely they'll be taking away some valuable ideas. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please give a five-star rating and share with others in your network. Thanks again, John. Thank you, Peter. Thanks, everyone.